Hello and welcome to Plot Twists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Lotus Palace by Jeannie Lin. This was published in 2013 and is the first in the Ping Kang Lee mystery series. So this is a little bit of a departure for us. It, it is. is a historical romance. However, it is set in Tang Dynasty China. So like mid-800s? Like, yes. I was going to say, it's like not even in the thousands. It's like 800, 900 CE, common era. <laughs> We're going to use the new terminology, right? Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a different setting than I think we're used to, and so I, I definitely want to talk about that later. But just to give some context, and with that, I think we'll kick it off with the book jacket. It's a time of celebration in the Peking Li, where imperial scholars and bureaucrats mingle with beautiful courtesans. At the center is the Lotus Palace, home of the most exquisite courtesans in China. Maidservant Yue Ying is not one of those beauties. Street smart and practical, she's content to live in the shadow of her infamous mistress until she meets the aristocratic playboy Bai Huang. Bai Huang lives in a privileged world Yue Ying can barely imagine, let alone share. But as they are thrown together in an attempt to solve a deadly mystery, they both start to dream of a different life. Yet Bai Huang's position means that all she could ever be to him is his concubine. Will she sacrifice her pride to follow her heart? There is no mention of the mystery other than attempt to solve a deadly mystery. It's true. And I would say that the mystery forms a greater part of this than most. I would feel like this is almost more romantic suspense than it is like pure romance. For a lot of reasons, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But other than that, I don't think it's that bad. No, it's not. I I would say it's not bad at all. Hmm. Um, I do wish there had been some illusion, and I don't know how to do this well, and maybe I'm off base here, but given the number of, like, sex-positive sex worker romances going around right now, I wish the fact that she was a sex trafficking victim who is in no way, shape, or form doing this as, like, a form of empowerment or by any sort of choice, even a choice born of desperation, had been mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like this is absolutely not a book where a woman is empowering herself through her sexuality. And yeah. I think given the trends in romance right now, you could read this jacket and think that. You could possibly, yeah. But, I, look, I'm going to be honest. I really, really liked this book. So up front, I'm just going to tell you I loved it. That said, it it really delves into a lot of very serious issues. I really liked this book. I can't say I enjoyed this book for that reason. Yes. And I think the one mark against it, because I did think it was extremely well executed, is it wasn't much of a romance novel. Yeah. I can't disagree. Between being romantic suspense and the sheer volume of trauma... Like, this was this was not something I read as a romance novel. I didn't get the fun, fluffy feelings. It was not yeah. escapist. I mean, that said, there is, there's a central relationship that's very important, and there is a happily ever after. So in case you were worried about that, you do get that. Yeah, it, it is a romance novel on its face. The experience of reading it. 
was not the same for me as most romance novels. Yeah. Well, and I think it could depend on the kind of romance you like to read as well, right? Like, I think we well, gravitate sure. towards the fluffier, silly, over-the-top If your kind version of, of romance is Nicholas Sparks, this is going to be hot as hell. But <laughs> I don't think talking. any of our listeners are really into that. <laughs> I'm not talking about the hot part. I'm talking about, like, the angst part, because this book okay. is... If you're into Nicholas Sparks, this is significantly oh less God. angsty. <laughs> All right. Well, as usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50, and then we wrote our own summaries based on that number. So I'll kick us off. Yue Ying has no choice but to shack up with the cute but dumb bureaucrat's son who she is not falling in love with when her lady is accused of murder. Her life sucked, and he's a privileged son with a vice and a desire to protect the downtrodden. Yeah, I love it. Okay, here's my 48-word summary. This hot guy is courting your employer, but also paying a lot of attention to you. He's kind of a doof, but maybe also smarter than he seems. Oh, yeah, and you also live in a high-class brothel in Tang Dynasty, China. Love it. Thanks. Uh, I mean, I, I also think that we both really like the the doofy hero who's smarter than he seems. There were traces of Rupert here. I know. I know. There really were. Hey, which made up for, like, a lot of the angst and the trauma for me. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are some of the other tropes besides the, the doof who's smarter than he seems. I mean, I think the defining trope of the romance here is class difference. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. She, and, and the class difference is, it's major, right? She's a sex trafficking victim who worked as an unwilling prostitute for years and currently lives at, in a brothel as the chief servant to like one of the most famous horrors in the district mm -hmm. because it's I think of a courtesan and this is so I think this is a fine place to have this conversation the number one thing about this book for me is it drove home how little I know about the social hierarchy of imperial China there was mm -hmm. a lot of context here I was just missing and not that the author didn't do a great job providing it but like I don't know at what class level women started being restricted in their movements is it just the aristocracy and the lower, or is it like everybody, all the women above the true poorest class are restricted in movement? Like, I don't know. And so there were a lot of elements here that, like I was sort of missing that context for. So when I think of a courtesan, I sort of think of someone who gets kept by a single person, not someone working in the equivalent of a brothel. Yeah. and. I think the other difference here is that she is, she's working in the equivalent of a brothel, but men don't just pay for her time in bed. They pay for, they pay for you to be entertained. So you need to be good at poetry and calligraphy and you need to be a good hostess and you need to play an instrument, right? But you're not kept by one dude. In fact, you may have, many admirers there on any given night who are hanging out with each other and you? Yeah. 
It's it was it's, it's this weird mm-hmm. hybrid of like sex worker and salon hostess. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think some of that for me, like I think it's interesting that we're using a lot of Western terminology to talk about a very non-Western concept. Yeah. Well, and then the thing is too is Yue Ying is not a courtesan, right? Right. She's a maidservant, so she's not even in the circle of men and women who are engaging in this entertainment transaction, right? She's serving the tea, going to get their coats, stuff like that. Yep. Now, that said, she did work as a prostitute and not in a high-class house for a number of years prior to the events of this book. Well, and I think that was really interesting to me, too, is was the the hierarchy of the pleasure quarter as well, right? Because there are the courtesans who have to have a certain level of education to be able to mingle with the scholars and the bureaucrats. And then there are the uneducated, right, the whores, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm using that term because that's what Yue Ying used. Yes. So it it was, I learned a lot reading this. I hope it was historically accurate. I assume it was <laughs> because I did like learn a lot. I their right. tropes now that I've digressed. Yes. So we've said that he's a little doofy, but also maybe smarter than he seems. The thing is, guys, and you find this out very early. I don't think it's a spoiler. He's a spy. Sort of. Sort of. So most of the time. Again, in our world, spy means has an assignment from an official government entity. He's sort of a spy for his dad, but it seems like he doesn't really have official assignments. Yeah, just basically like be in the pleasure quarter, know what's going around, report back to me if you hear anything funky. So, But he's not sanctioned. He's not... He doesn't have a spy master. He's not working on any sort of mission. Right. But he he has a persona. Right? So this playboy, aristocratic persona of his is to mask that he has something a little deeper. That said, yeah. it's not a huge persona because a few years ago, this was just what he did all the time. So it has not been hard for him to slip back in. I think for me, this is not to say I did not find Bai Wong hot, because I totally did. And this is not to say that, like, I don't appreciate. He didn't hit the spy trope for me. That's, you know what? That's fair. There was no, like, again, I'm using Western terminology, for queen and country mindset. There was no training. There was no special skills. There was no jaded by the, like, just the corruption of the system or corruption of what they'd seen abroad. There's no, I don't like what I love about spies. He did not possess. That's I loved him for different reasons. I, I did love him. I loved him for the doof reasons. Yes. Which are directly contrary to spy reasons. Yeah, they are. But I liked him though. (laughs) The other thing I love in this is a spy trope is that, he can't stop paying attention to the wrong woman. Yes. Right? Because the spy, his mission is always to be with the one woman, like the super glamorous one. But for some reason, he just can't stop his attraction 
to the one, the one woman who he really shouldn't be paying any attention to. I do think when that trope is employed in a modern spy context, it's so often that the woman they're supposed to be paying attention to is the mark. Mm-hmm. Or the bad guy or, and I liked that that was not the case here. Right. I agree. Yeah. I, I really, really liked this book. It was great. So she was sex trafficked as a child, as we've discussed several times, but I don't think you can have more than three sentences of conversation about this book without bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason she ended up working in the quality or lack thereof of the establishment she did was because she has a gigantic port wine birthmark across half of her face. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Wei Ying means half moon. Mm-hmm. So, but so she has this physical, this this physical attribute, right? That sets her apart from other people, and most people think it's unattractive. In fact, many people think that it's like a mark of bad luck. But of course, Bai Huang thinks it's like super attractive. Yeah, there's this correlation in media often I think with extremely women particularly extremely attractive people with one differentiating characteristic that's not thought of being conventionally beautiful Mm -hmm. and that's somehow projecting moral worth right or like a sincerity of character that the Um, unblemished beautiful people don't possess and that is absolutely the case here I I also feel like it's it gives the attraction of, so the person who falls in love with that person. Yes. Has their, their feelings are more sincere as well. Right. And they get the credibility for looking deeper than skin. Yeah. Deep. Look, it's a trope. I don't hate it. There are characters in this book that are secretly related. Dun, dun, dun. There are. So how romance novel can you get? There there are a couple of characters who will do anything for their sisters. Yes. And I think often in romance novel, you know the phrase that women are the neck that turn the head? Mm-hmm. There's that put into practice as yes. part of the denouement. And then you have as a trope that she's illiterate. Yes. Not just her. Oh, come on. One partner is illiterate and the other partner says, oh, I'll teach you to read. Oh, well, that part. Okay, now I get it. I was like, I don't understand how illiteracy is a trope. But now that you explain the, it's it's not the illiteracy part. It's the I'll teach you to read part. <laughs> it's the only one person in a relationship can ever be illiterate. Well, yes. Ever. No. <laughs> like, so it's absolutely a trope just for me to write illiterate. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk more about the book, um, because I think I think as a novel, it's very well crafted. Yes. So it is a romance in that Bai Huang sees her, he pursues her, she gives in, but how they get there is really what's different in this book. This is one of those books where I really didn't know how they were going to have their happily ever after. And I didn't know yeah. because 
I, I didn't know what the conventions were. Maybe being happily ever after was going to be that she was a concubine, right? So that totally could have happened and I would have believed it. Maybe the happily ever after was going to be uh, just something, something that I didn't expect. Yeah, I also think this book leaned so hard into the angst Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't have been surprised if the happily ever after was less definitive. It was to the point that I actually thought the last chapter of the book was a gigantic tone shift. Mm. Like it, this book went from, I think, not following the conventional emotional patterns, you know, their first kiss is an unwanted one where he imposes himself on her and it is not treated as cute. Yeah. And she does not have lustful feelings from it. And like, it is actually kind of traumatizing to read. And like all of those types of choosing to do different things. I was not expecting the sort of extremely conventional happily ever after at the end. Yeah. Well, and this, this did that thing where I can read a romance and I can get so annoyed when the heroine won't marry the hero. Yes. Because they're not in love. And I'm like, she's super poor. He's a dude. Like, you just get married to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about this in several yes. books. They need to have a good reason. I actually believed her reason for not wanting to be his concubine. Yes. Because at first I was like, really? Is this where she's going to go with this? And then I was like, wow. I, I was just really impressed with how she crafted that conflict. Well, I think one, I believed her emotional reasons. And two, I like that she was given an alternative, not a better one, but one that would not have meant she was destitute. Yeah. That exactly. she like that I I like that it there was a point in this book where the choice between him would have been the choice between him and going back to prostitution. Right. And that is not the choice she makes. And I think that's also part of why it was so believable. Well, and I mean, that's what's so important about romance, too, is that the heroine does get a choice. And you right. feel like the hero is the best choice. Yes. Right? Well, yes, he is. Well, yes. But I mean, <laughs> that's part of the reason I like reading romance. That's what it, it gives agency to the heroine, to the woman. Right. So. Which I guess is the reason why they turned down the Dukes. So. I know I just contradicted myself, but I don't care. You're allowed. Um, so I actually think this was a mystery first yeah. in a lot of ways. What mm-hmm. did you think of the mystery? So I thought the mystery was really well done. I don't think that it's a mystery you can figure out. I agree. Yeah. There, there are a lot of clues. I think it's well done. I was really interested to find out what was happening, what was going on, who did what. But I would never have guessed who the villain was. No. Same. But that didn't detract for me. I, there was a little bit of messiness for me in the, the narrative construction. This book did a really good job wrapping up the mystery of the body in the river. Right. But 
the re- person Bai Wong is actually spying on isn't a part of the mystery at all. And it's not a spoiler. You never expect him to be or suspect him to be. But there was enough relation between the characters that were a subject of the mystery and a subject of his spying that I expected it to tie together better. Mm-hmm. And his spying essentially went nowhere. Yeah. It, that's true. His spying didn't go anywhere. That's a, that's a good point. His spying did not end up having any effect really on the mystery. So that was just the one thing where I was sort of waiting for it to all come together. Sure. And I think that's just what I'm used to in mysteries of this type. And it did not. So just preparing anyone that like there's sort of two different things going on. One gets resolved and one doesn't, which is very typical of mystery series in some ways. But it was sort of implied that they were all related. Yeah. And then they weren't. Well, and this is a mystery series. So let's be clear. Um, It is going to continue for two more books with another one that's going to be released soon. So I'm very excited for the new release. So I'll just say that. Is that why we're reading these so fast? Maybe. I always wonder when there's like a series where we're doing like four in a two month period. I'm like, one of these has to be new. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can hold off if you want to, but the other no, reason really we're reading it. them, I was going to say the other reason we're reading them so quickly is because I, I read this one and I was like, oh my God, I need to read the next two. It's like, I already read them. And I was like, well, Lane has to too. Sorry. No, no apologies. I really enjoyed it. It's really good. I, I thought, I think your point, so the woman is the neck that turns the head. I really liked the emphasis on female friendship and female family in the novel. Because there, I just think she did a really good job with all of the different relationships between the women. So there's Yue, Yue Ying's employer. There's the madam of the brothel. Bai Huang has a sister who comes into play. His mother comes into play. I just really thought that all of the interplays and all of the relationships were well done. I really liked the social dynamics presented in this book a lot. Absolutely. And we talk about characters having rich exterior lives so often that I feel like a broken record, but this was amazing world building. So good. And I don't know how much, like legitimately, I probably take it for granted in a lot of the Regency era romances and surrounding time period, just because I know so much about that period in history that I sort of, I don't know, I guess, in a way, which ones are truly evocative of the time period versus like what my brain is just filling in because I know it so well. Right. Like, because I knew nothing here, I was really forced to confront, like, damn, she built this district completely. Yes. It's, I mean, it's just really interesting. It's really interesting from that historical perspective, too. And mm. thinking about, Okay, so yes, the majority of what we read are set in in England specifically, but also, you know, in a pretty restricted time period, right? Georgian, yeah. Regency, Victorian. Maybe a little Edwardian. Maybe a little bit. But we don't even read medievals very much. Except for that one time and you are still mad at me about it. <laughs> that was not a medieval. It was a time Part of it was. Heck, part of it was. <laughs> The f- her first lifetime was medieval. Thank okay. You. Uh, okay, but then there was also Edwardian, and then there was also like '90s. What the heck? Yes. Anyway. Moving away from that, 
I think what's interesting. <laughs> I think what's interesting here too. What was going on in England in the year 1845? Not even no. What was going on in England in the year 845? Yes, right. Like a full thousand years before the books that we normally read. King Arthur, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's just very. It's interesting to contrast, and I really liked the new setting. I really liked it. Yeah, same. So, anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the extensive content warnings? No. Okay. I get so hard with mysteries because, like, there's a lot I want to say, but so much would spoil so much. And this book is so good that I think less is more in this case. Yeah. I mean, we can have a spoiler tag. Keep going. Okay. So, so content warnings. We already talked about it. Yue Ying was trafficked as a child and sold to a low-class brothel. Right? Mm-hmm. So she wasn't. She wasn't taught to read, to write. She didn't get any of the privileges, in quotation marks, a courtesan in training would get. Um, so basically, I mean, she talks about it herself, that she was, she was used and discarded. I also want to just be very clear. She was sex trafficked at the age of eight. Correct. So this is child rape. Mm-hmm. So she has no positive feelings towards sex. And in fact, just the fact that she can engage with men in this high-class brothel, I think is pretty impressive, right? So, yeah. so that's her background. That's where we're coming from when we read this book from her perspective. Yeah. She also, I mean, it's obvious and so secondary, but she was bullied severely for her appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's always so interesting, and I know it's accurate, but she underwent this, like, extreme trauma. Mm-hmm. But people making fun of her face is still, like, really hurtful, obviously. Right. Well, and I mean, I think it added to the trauma as well. Like, she's yeah. only good for one thing, right? Yep. So. so. And and if, I, I don't know. I just think it's just so well done because she recognizes the, both the privilege of where she works now, so who she works for, this woman is, in comparison, has, like, the best life, right? She has the best food. She can read. She, she can write poetry. She engages with powerful men. She influences their actions. She At the same ob time, obtains critical acclaim. Right. At the same time, she's a slave. Yeah. And must also serve as these men. So I think, for me, Jeannie Lynn just did such a good job of creating these two characters and that tension between almost like I'm jealous of her, but also we're in the same situation at heart. Yes. I also really liked that Baiwan was so flawed. Yeah. Like, you sort of can't criticize Yu Yang as a character because she was sort of just surviving. Mm-hmm. Whereas Baiwan has Bai Wong has a lot of issues. And not just 
vice, as I mentioned in my summary, but also like an inability to truly empathize with people around him. Like, I think it was really telling that he spends this entire book working to write an injustice done to people in the lower classes while not knowing the name of his housekeeper. Mm-hmm. And like they call this out very deliberately. It wasn't like subtle or subtext, but I, I think that's a really interesting character trait. Yeah. Which is well, so contrast to like our romance novel heroes who know all their staff by name and the staff are the ones who secretly know they're lovely. Right. Of course. Of course. It's such a trope, which was not present here. At I, all. I just, I think Jeannie Lynn did, obviously deliberately did, made all the choices that she did when she wrote this book. Agree. Um, and then I think, uh, so another note, Huang is, uh, by Huang, he's addicted to gambling. So he feels like he has it under control, but probably doesn't. Yeah. He also got in trouble a few years back before this book took place and was, what's the word? He was basically run out of town by the enforcers mm -hmm. of the casinos. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about, I didn't find this book particularly violent, given mm -hmm. the nature of everything that happens in it. However, the resolution at the end of catching the ultimate bad guy took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. Not in terms of who did it, but in terms of his fate. Yep. And how passively some of that was discussed. Yep. And I, I mean, I think that I think she's trying to be historically accurate here, and I believe it. But it's also like, oh, oh, okay. I'm used to romance novels being a little anachronistic in terms of people's viewpoints about the world. A lot of feminist principles. A lot of, and I just feel like. In the most spoiler-free way I can say it, a lot of my favorite romance authors would absolutely have shied away from characters enjoying watching a public execution. Right. Because there's a lot that's unpalatable about that. Mm -hmm. And Jeannie Lynn threw it in with so little fanfare that I was like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, wait, what? <laughs> what happened here? Yeah. I, I kind of wish I'd been prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, honestly, we we kind of have to roll sexiness into content warnings. Yeah. So Lane already talked about how their first kiss was non-consensual and was not played off later, right? It wasn't like, I didn't want her to kiss me, but oh, I kind of like it now. Yeah. He kissed her and it was, you know, it was like a, a traumatic flashback for her. Yes. Um, the way he did it, where it happened. And anyway, so that happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then when they do eventually have sex, she's like, yeah, I want, she, she consents. She wants to do it. it. I don't necessarily think it's enthusiastic, but she's like, I am in love with him. I want to be with him. But she is not 
she compartmentalizes herself and dissociates really. Yeah. And you're in her head for the whole thing, which I found extremely difficult. Yeah. But I mean, you Uh, couldn't have been in Huang's head. But what I found really interesting is every subsequent sex scene you were. Yeah, that's true. So like you got, you were in her head for all the trauma, but not in her head at all for the enthusiastic consent. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting choice. And the only thing I can think honestly, and I wonder if you had the same thought was once we got to the point in the book where the sex was supposed to be hot, mm-hmm. Jeannie Lynn didn't want to put, put us in her head That's because possible. invariably, even if she was now enthusiastic consenting, like, wow, enthusiastically consenting, <laughs> she's clearly not going to never think about her trauma again. Right. Right. And so to a degree, I think Jeannie Lynn had to make that choice to prevent the rest of the sex from just continuing to be traumatizing. Yeah. No, I, I, I hadn't thought of it, but I don't disagree with you. We know I think too hard about this all the time. Yeah. Would you like to talk a little bit more about the mystery? Since usually we try to end on sexiness because it's like a high note. Yeah. So obviously let's not, everything is not spoilery. I mean, everything is spoilers from this point forward. Really liked the way the reveal of them being sisters was done. Yes. Partially, you know, I usually hate the, we don't, we're not thinking about this elephant in the room. I didn't get that sense at all. I completely bought it. Yeah. Yeah. And then just that the relation, I talked about this earlier, but the relationship that they had, like they loved each other. They would do anything for each other. And they also resented each other. Yes. It just felt really real. Well, and, like, I really felt like that moment was such an aha, I should have seen that coming. Yes. In a way that the actual mystery was not. Yeah, it's true. I thought it was really interesting that we talked about how, like, this was not a mystery you were supposed to figure out. But I thought a lot of the more subtle relationship stuff, I actually thought was really well executed. Yeah. Well, and I just really liked, I really like Huang's sister as well. Yes. She's such an appealing character. But she, I mean, she has the same flaws he does. She can't see past her own privilege. Right, but she does have the added disadvantage of being a woman in Imperial China. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I thought her relationship was, Yang was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Because I think she started out treating her as like an object of curiosity in a very kind way. Right. But still... And I thought the way that their relationship evolved from that point was really well done. Oh, I just, I think that's what I liked the most about this book was the, and that's what I like the most about my favorite books are the characters and mm-hmm. how real they feel. This and, was unquestionably a character driven book. Well, and she, I don't know, for me, you're going to set it in this completely alien place and time to us, which is Again, something I do like about historical romance, right? Yes. That's why I read historicals rather than contemporaries. But this felt even more alien because it was a place and time I'm even less familiar with. But then feeling that the people are still people. Yes. I, I just, I cannot recommend this book enough with all of the content warnings known. 
Yeah, I, I think this is definitely one of those that I'm really glad we did an episode on. Yeah. Because I kind of wish, Meg did a good job warning me about what this wasn't. But I wish there's a way for me to go back and put into my brain what this was going to be. Because I told Meg, there were a couple of points where like I had to put it down and just like walk around my apartment and do some dishes. And like, I just couldn't keep reading another page in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that is not an experience I usually have when reading romance novels. Right, exactly. You're like, I'm going to sit down. Three hours later, you get up and you're like, done and dusted. <laughs> right, like you you were very clear that like it was not that sexy and there was a lot of trauma, but I was not quite prepared for how visceral some of it would be. Mm-hmm. And for like the amount of non-sexy sex moments between the protagonists. Yeah. But also not resenting that. Because I have certainly read European set, Western set historicals that are more traditional bodice rippers where I'm like, oh, I cannot believe they ended up together, right? I would agree with that, yeah. Like, I believe they ended up together. Well, and I also didn't, I wasn't, I was upset, but I wasn't, like, angry at Huang. Right, and especially the cultural context here changed so much. Mm-hmm. So, like, their first kiss, he grabs her in a cellar and plants one on her. One, she works in a brothel. Two, like, he's sincerely interested in her and thinks it's a cute moment, and she, like, has a panic attack. Mm-hmm. So, like, not only is it an unwelcome, not cool advance to treat women like property what he also thought would come off as sexy and spontaneous absolutely did not. Mm -hmm. He had a lot to learn in this book and he'd learned some of it. Yeah. Well, and his, the character development was just so good. What did you think about the fact that he like was consistently failing his exams? Not for show. I kind of kept expecting to find out that he was failing on purpose to stay in the district for his spy work. Yeah. And when it came out, he actually just kind of sucked at the exam. I was like, Oh, didn't see that coming. <laughs> I, the fact that, that his sister was the one tutoring him. Yep. I was like, Ooh. anyway, I, uh, I just thought it was, I, basically, I just thought it was really well written, really interesting, really good. Yeah, I highly, highly recommend this one. As long as you know what you're getting into. Yep. So we'll be continuing with the series, and Meg assures me it's significantly less dark. Thank you so much for listening.